May all that you stand for and that we stand for be preserved under the providence of God for the happiness of mankind. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machines. But it is the values of individual liberty, equality before the law and the supremacy of people over the state to which we can always with confidence return as a powerful and uniting force. Australia is not a secular country. It is a free country. Welcome to the Church and State Show. The separation of church and state is a phrase which lots of people feel strongly about and yet know very little about. First coined by the least religious of the American founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, in a letter to a Baptist congregation which was concerned about religious liberty, Jefferson assured them it was about keeping politics out of religion and not the other way round. The founding fathers indisputably believed in the necessity of religion and of the prevention of government interference in religion. It is not true that they didn't want Christian influence in politics. Rather, as people deeply committed to the separation of powers, they wanted a vibrant, healthy and robust church to be another check and balance on the power of future governments, just like a free and independent media, also mentioned in their First Amendment to the Constitution. Nothing would be worse for the integrity of the experiment in self-government than a religious institution or a media company having corrupting controls over government. But that doesn't diminish the need for the power they should have to serve as a conscience for the government. In these modern times where government money and political power has so polluted the fourth estate, a strong and vocal community of Christians is more important than ever to the quality of Western democracies. Another founding father, the second president of the USA, John Adams, described the importance he and his peers placed on religion in democracy like this. We have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice, ambition, revenge or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other." End quote. He described Australia in the 2020s. No one cared about inalienable human rights during the policy pandemic. Free speech? Out the window. Religious liberty? Locked up. Freedom of movement? Inconvenient. Freedom to work, earn and learn? Vandalised. Bodily autonomy? Outlawed. The people's appetite for government-guaranteed personal safety at any cost to everyone else's inalienable human rights was unbridled by any objective sense of justice or natural law. The strongest cords of the Constitution were broken by popular demand, just as President John Adams predicted. And that malevolence in culture continues unabated in the horrendous abuse and violence directed at brave women who simply ask for the right to be heard. 
and to have safe access to single-sex sports and spaces. It flows like open sewers into our public libraries and schools where our innocent children are groomed from the first moments mass schooling can get their claws into them at childcare for decades of sexual confusion and gender confusion with a directly resulting epidemic in terrible mental health outcomes. The reformation of culture and morality in the West is now an urgent need, if not for the spirits of the people, but for the sustainability of our constitution and the democracy it defines. Australia needs a return to Christianity, if not devotionally, then at least culturally. Multiculturalism is an abject failure of amorphous, convictionless compromise and not a foundation for a future. The weakness of our Christian foundation has been the confusion of goodness with niceness. In the gymnastic effort to be nice, we have forgotten to promote and protect what is good until we are no longer even nice to anyone who believes in the objective good. Cultural Marxists have successfully done what they publicly said they would do and incrementally turned our institutions, like both major political parties, into Marxist entities. We can save our culture and institutions, but it won't happen in a few election cycles. And new and shiny minor parties have failed to save the day. It may take as long as the Cultural Revolution which began in the 1950s, but that is the formula for success. Incremental infiltration of surrendered institutions with goodness, conservatism, and Christ. It is not necessary to make a big song and dance about your presence. Just be there, like the salt and light Jesus described. Not hidden, not useless. Be faithful, keep turning up. When rebuffed, come back later and keep trying again. Patience is how the bad guys, the Marxists, the feminists, the statists, and the national socialists have wormed their way into power everywhere. Patience is how we retake that which we surrendered by sleeping. Inaction and inattention is no longer an option for people of good conscience and belief. Well, joining me now is Damien Curry, who is host of the show returning in 2023, The Other Side. Damien, what season is this? Returning old show. <laughs> Returning old New show. New to 2023. We, yeah, we stopped in December 2021, the end of 2021, after about 18 months. Yep. And uh, we didn't do anything in 2022 because I ran for the Liberal Democrats in the federal election. And it's been until now that we've been trying to get it back up. Um, and we've managed to do that with the wonderful support of everyone at ADH. And uh, so we're out on a fantastic platform. Yeah, And uh, looking forward to doing what we do and the way we're looking at it is on Friday night you'll get a nice wrap of the news best news and commentary of the week um, so that'll drop on Friday nights you can watch any time you like of course but Brilliant. it's there for you for the weekend if you want to catch up on what you missed during the week because I think we're all overloaded with info there's so much great content out there that we miss and this is a it's so it's a bit of a summary show if you, you like of the best bits. producing this week um, we start on April 14 okay um, so Friday, April 14 is the first show. And then there'll be another night of the week. I think it's going to be Tuesdays where an interview show will drop. So we'll have a, a short, um, you know, 30 minute, probably not that short, but 30 minute interview 
40-minute interview Brilliant. each week as well that'll that'll come out um, probably Tuesday nights we're looking at at this point, but we're not Very 100% good. locked in on that Quick yet. interviews are the ones, and quick as opposed to more than an hour. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Joe Rogan. The, the discipline I, I'm, uh, I'm trying to master, so we'll work on that. Uh, stay tuned, because uh, after this interview with Damien, I'm actually going to be doing another interview with Bernard Gaynor. We're going to be talking about the absolutely obscene graphic novels which are in your public library right next to the Batman comics that are intended for your kids to, a, to pick up. Next it's an indication comic. of the problem I want to talk about with you now and that is the red map that we have in Australia. Uh, governments from coast to coast, uh, excluding Tasmania, federally and state and territories, are red. Mm. They're Labor. They're left, they're progressive. The parties seem to be red left as well. I mean, there's, there's plenty of people on social media with the laughable claim that the Liberal Party is losing because they've lurched too far to the right. Well, it's a dominant th theory within the Liberal Party. <laughs> well, let, let's talk about that. Yeah, okay. while it would seem. While they're pursuing that thought that they've gone too far to the right and need to go further to the left and, and I hope we agree the Liberal Party problem is that they've gone too far to the left. Um, we're, I mean we end up going to possibly talk in circles and confuse ourselves here but uh, what is the future of the Liberal Party and, and yeah. is there a way that they can save their own electoral fortunes. Right, well look, I came back to Australia after 20 years abroad, very concerned about how far left the culture had shifted, right? I was a journalist here for 13 years, I then moved into PR, I worked for 20 years in public relations in Asia, I travelled the region, I travelled different parts of the world, I saw a lot of different things. I also lived through the fall of Hong Kong, uh, to a certain mm. extent, right? So, you know, I'm pretty sensitive about how fragile liberty is and freedom is, and so that's why, you know, my politics shifted very much from probably centre-left when I was a young journalist to maybe not even centre-right anymore, maybe right, you know, conservative, quite, quite conservative. Um, and that's probably happened just since I've come back from Australia, that last shift, because this place is in crisis. Um, we are broke. The country's broke. Uh, the reality of Australia right now is that we owe uh, more than you know, a trillion and a half dollars with our state and federal debt. Our governments are not showing any financial responsibility. They're just spending like crazy and they continue to do so. There's nobody reining that in. There's no voice to rein that in because who would want to stand up to the public and say, ladies and gentlemen, we need to tighten our belts, like they used to say in the old days. Mm. Uh, nobody respects that anymore. It's like, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me more money. So we have a cultural problem. The Liberal Party shifted to the left because they thought that was the only way to win. It's the worst marketing strategy in the world um, but I used to think that it was because they weren't very bright that they did it. Uh, because basically, you know, could you imagine Pepsi saying we're sick of being the number two cola in Australia? We've had enough. We're going to change our formula to be exactly like Coke. Do you think that people would stop drinking Coke and start drinking Pepsi? No Coke of course not. switch. No, there's no differentiation, right? So that's essentially the marketing approach of the Liberal Party or the strategic approach, political strategic approach of the Liberal Party. Um, and it's failing. Of course it's failing. It has to fail. Uh, I thought up until the West Australian election, I went through the Queensland election and the West Australian election. When the West Australian election happened and they were annihilated, I thought, OK, they're going to learn now. And then we saw South Australia. Then we saw, I think, the ACT. Now, the ACT is green. It's a little green dot in the sea of red. We mustn't ever forget that Australia has a green government. Uh, there is a territory that is green, and it's run by Greens. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a phenomenon that could occur elsewhere. 
we have only Tasmania that's still uh, liberal. Um, and, and federally, of course, we, we have a Labor government. So uh, what do you do in that situation? Well, you've got to differentiate for starters. You've got to say we stand for something different. Now, it might be that the Liberal Party would would lose a few elections, but you won't be completely annihilated and you won't cease to have a, a reason to be or a reason to exist. The Liberal Party is now facing an existential threat. It's not just that they're losing elections, it's that they don't, they're, fa they're non-existent, right? Because there's no reason to be. If, if you've got a centre-left party already, we don't need another centre-left party. Um, yep. So even if only 20% of Australians want to vote centre-right or right, it's better that you be the party for those people, stand for something, show your values and grow from there. And this is why the Matt Keane New South Wales Liberals lost their election, is because they took Pepsi that Menzies created and they tried to make it taste exactly like Coke, thinking, the Labor Party in this metaphor, uh, thinking that, well, now all the Coke drinkers will vote for us. It's insane. Where all the label voters will drink because we're exactly like them on environment and uh, gender confusion and uh, abortion and and yeah. the other things that they that they have demonstrably lurched left. Oh, it's, on. It, look, it's it's it, anyone who studied marketing for five seconds understands that that's strategically insane. Now uh, the reality is that within the Liberal Party, that is the dominant strategic approach. So the dominant strategic approach in the Liberal Party is, oh, we mustn't upset the new paradigm. We must speak to the centre. Well, the centre keeps moving left, right? And the centre will keep moving left. Mm. And that's what's happened over the last 20, 30 years. By playing that game, right, it, it's, which, you know, it helped the Labor Party. The new Labor movement was a bit of that, right, from the other side. It was a bit of, you know, Blair, Goss, um, uh, Clinton to a certain extent. It was like, well, we'll behave a little bit like conservatives and we'll, we'll secure the centre, right? The third way politics, right? Yeah, okay, if the climate is such that that is, is what people want, but we're in an environment where that's not what people want, really. Mm. You've got, it's not, a, it's not a bell curve of public opinion or political views anymore. It's an inverted bell curve. So you've got these two very strong extremes. You've got a, yeah. So the base that used to be, you know, a small minority, three standard deviations from the mean or two standard deviations from the mean for those people who like stats, um, that's now the, that's a significant chunk now because it's an inverted bell curve. Mm -hmm. So you can't play that old third wave game of trying to capture the center. You've got to, you've got to secure that, that extreme part first. And that's what they're failing to do. Yeah. So do we reform from the inside or from the outside is the question. It seems that they're blocking people from entering at the moment. At the church and state conference in Brisbane, I spoke to a number of people who said they'd put their membership in and they got rejected from the conservative side. I haven't joined, but I'm going to, because like you, uh, I'm, I'm sort of getting back into the commentating and I want to stay pretty neutral on the right. Beyond uh, reach of the big stick of uh, Yeah, well, that's right, charge. I think you've got, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, but, and also I'd be rejected because I went and joined the Liberal Democrats. I resigned, went to the Liberal Democrats, ran against the Liberal yep. uh, to try and save them from the Greens and, and, and it, you know. Didn't work. It didn't work. Um, still lost to the Greens. Yeah, and so, you know. It's, Which is very it's, generous. Uh, well, well, that you were trying to save him, but look, um, I I know <laughs> I know right. for a fact that the Liberal Party in some state branches have only filtered out uh, maybe ten percent of the people who have joined the Conservatives, the Christians who have joined to save the party, and and people um, 
like Senator Alex Antic, are having great success at returning the Liberal Party back to Menzian values, that centre-right um, broad tent that John Howard spoke about. But he's South Australia, right? But he's South Australia. But there was huge headlines in the South Australian advertiser uh, about how many, you know, they've, they've shut down membership, they've suspended membership, they've blocked a uh, hundred or more people from, from joining. So all of what you and I and, and the person watching now would know is that people were blocked from the Liberal Party. Because the people who got in are oh, advertising. Oh, I see it. what you're saying. Right, right, right. The so there's like a thousand got in right. and a hundred didn't, yeah. and we're hearing about the hundred. The hundred make the news, uh, and this is what I'm saying: is we have to be faithful because you might be blocked this year, uh, or the person viewing might be blocked this year. Um, so apply next year again, you know, and apply every year, just as part of your national service. I want to be part of the people yes. who get to decide who my local candidate will be. Right. And if I, you don't show, share that view, join something. Yeah. Join any political party on the right that you support. You know, mm. join One Nation, join the Liberal Democrats, join I, I and agree. help professionalise the smaller yeah. parties because that's the problem with the minor parties. Right? And, and we should have debates about what the best strategy is. But uh, something else I, I, I try and encourage people to do is appreciate the people who are doing a different strategy to you. So if, if you... Doesn't hurt. Say, well, essentially, let's focus on the enemy and, and save our attacks for them. And the people who are on our side and working in a different trench and a different campaign and a different strategy yeah. to reform culture in Australia, then, uh, you know, bless them and uh, let them get on with it. Well, we live in, we, we have a system that welcomes that, the preferential voting system. Yeah. It's extremely, we're extremely lucky to have that. Yes. And it means you can do this. You can play this multi uh, faceted approach, yeah. Um, but you've got to work together. It means you can put the minor parties, the freedom parties, the conservative independents above the Liberal Party, and, and still, still support a a good candidate from from all of those when they exist. Yeah. Um, and of course, I say the benefit of being a member of the Liberal Party is you get to. Um, promote the good candidates within the party so that they are the ones you get an option of, of voting for. That's right. Um, so we have a system that enables that, that supports so how do that. We, so just get into some party, get into any party. But I think, you know, the problem with the minor parties is the challenge of professionalising. The minor parties professionalising. Professionalising. Um, a lot of people are going to say they need to unite. Yeah, no, I think if they unite they would need to be swallowed up by the Liberal Party. I mean, probably the best case scenario would be if the Liberal Party was a broad church again and it actually brought in all the Conservatives back together and used its professionalism, mm. uh, which I, I, I assume is there, uh, to kind of uh, you know, bring the other parties together and create a new united force like Menzies did with, I think it was like 30-something parties or something. Really? They pulled together wow. in that room over that weekend in yeah. Wodonga or something, was it? Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's what we, we need to see happen, I think, if they're going to unite. I think if the, if the independent parties united, they're small. There's already a lot of internal dysfunction because they're small. They operate as small volunteer organisations, which means that, you know, any volunteer organisation, it's it's... It's hard to go in and say, look, you've got to leave the marketing to the marketing people and you've got to leave the communications to the communications people and you've got to stick to your thing that you do best, which is maybe, you know, I don't know, 
uh, polling or something. Well, you know, <laughs> something else that's, that's yeah. but everybody has to sort of, it, it's hard to get people's expertise to the fore uh, in a voluntary organization because everybody feels they have a piece and a right yeah. and a slice of the pie. And it's like, you know, so it's hard to go and go, anyone that comes in and says, look, this is my area of expertise and you need to let me run with it is going to get called a, you know, no, arrogant just, SOB. Yeah, yeah right. Um, so, so you've got to have a political, you've got to have a professional, professionalizing means you have a framework where you actually treat it like a company or a business and you take people's CVs and you go, okay, well, you've got 25 years in, you know, po political polling. So you're going to be our political polling guy. Yeah. Sorry, Fred, but your hobby of political polling is going to be really good supporting Jane here because Jane's got 25 years experience in the field. She'll show you stuff, yeah. but you now have to, Report to Jane, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. That sort of thing in a small party is really hard because um, everybody feels like they own it so much. And it's and you get, I think the politics in smaller parties can be worse than the politics in big parties. Um, you, I think it, you're right. Like the politics in volunteer organisations yes. is always worse than the politics in a business. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's right. So, you know. Let's talk about culture. Um, we're we're going to be talking to Bernard Gaynor in just a moment and he's going to be uh, revealing, uh, I think, is a cultural emergency in this nation uh, with extremely obscene graphic novels intended for children being placed in public libraries and school libraries by your councils and schools. Uh, and, and this is toxic poison um, proactively present um, to, to try and take the hearts and minds of our children and, and utterly corrupt them. Uh, you will be shocked. Stay tuned for that. But Damien, what are the major uh, pillars with which we can, uh, over the coming decades, starting now, um, look to uh, influence a cultural reformation in Australia? Yeah, look, I mean, it, it's the classic ones. And we talked about politics and, and moving the, the needle politically and getting that side of things sorted out. So just join a political party, right? Get involved, start doing yep. that. We've got to do this from the ground, ground up. But then we've got to look at the other institutions that the left has, has masterfully, and you've got to give them their due. They have done a great job, and we are 30, 40, 50 years behind. It's a winning um, formula. Yeah, so they're in the media, they're in the, uh, obviously, the ABC, they have their own media outlet. Uh, they've got the uh, newspaper, the online newspaper now, the, um, what's it called, the New Daily, uh, which is a uh, uh, funded fully by industry superannuation funds and industry superannuation funds control uh, half of the super and wow. they are powerful, uh, but they are, you know, they paint the external faces, we're all very That's nice. That's a and huge amount of money yeah, and power. Yeah, yeah. and the the, the 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 external faces were community organisations, but they're actually union union supported, mm. and they support the unions. Uh, I'm not sure to what extent. I'm not an expert on this, but I know that there is donation flow uh, yep. to the unions, and the unions donation flow to labour. So that's how the left got its its sort of financial side sorted. So yep. they're much better at capital management. We've got to get much better at, you, the irony is that of course, one of the complaints of Marx was of capitalism was that, you know, you're gonna wind up with the politics politics all supported by the capitalists because nobody's, the left will never have enough money. The proletariat will never have enough money to, yep. uh, in actual fact, it's the opposite now. Um, that the the right is is everybody's trying to do woke capital and be you know popular so all the rich people are kind of like wanting to oh i'm rich but i'm gonna now i'm gonna be mr woke you know i'm gonna be mr you know climate change and and uh uh you know i want to be appear to be or mrs appear to be very yeah. very uh, enlightened um the grandkids will like me more and i'll be popular <laughs> um the richard branson approach but i think that's that whole thing 
um, is a real problem. You know, capital has to wake up and realise the threat here. Uh, mm. We need more people than Clive Palmer throwing millions at this because it's a real problem. So we've got to look at capital flow. We've got to look at education. Uh, we've got to look at what's going on in the education system. Obviously, there's a lot of work being done by the church there, uh, the different churches there. Uh, although I've got to say the Catholic Church and the Anglican Church are so entrenched now by the left that, that, that they've got real problems, particularly the Anglicans. Catholics, not so bad, but it's getting maybe getting worse. I hope it's getting better. Uh, and then, um, you know, and so the church itself then becomes the final one, you know, that we've got to look at, uh, at how we kind of get these ideas through the church. And we're not talking... The other thing is that the left are very good at villainizing. The church is part of the solution, I think. That yeah, totally. And, and when I say the church... I hope so. Uh, um, I would like it to also be institutionally and, and pulpits uh, very necessarily preaching on these things. And there are many good pastors and, and pulpits doing that and have done that. Um, and if you don't know one, then look for one because they definitely exist. Um, but I actually think the church is the people, the, the body of Christ. Totally. The, the pew warmers who need to stop just warming pews and get out into the public square. Uh, it, it's we who need to be preaching the, the truth, the justice, the liberty of the gospel. Yeah, and don't buy into the lie of the left that the separation of church and state means that if you are religious, you shouldn't have any worldly engagement. Um, it, it's not true uh, of Christianity. That's not the, the no. idea. Christ did not preach that you have no engagement in politics and in the no. in the life. And it's not even true of the original concept what of the separation of church and state. What he actually did preach was take your light and set it on a lampstand so that all may see. Yes. Uh, and that's exactly what I'm teaching is, and it's not my idea, it's Jesus's. It, it's, there is much darkness in the public square. And if we have the light um, to dispel the darkness in every corner, then that's exactly what we need to do with it is, as Jesus said, not hide it, but stick it on a lampstand so all can see it. Yeah. And the notion of the separation of church and state, as the left would like us to believe, is the idea that, you know, you have to keep them separate so that polit so that religion doesn't influence politics. Mm. That is not the original intention of the concept. It was so that politics couldn't harm religion. Correct. Or politics couldn't come in, in the way of people uh, having their own religious values and views. Yep. You cannot have a society that has no value base. You can't have philosophy, political philosophy, legal philosophy that doesn't have values underlying it. And whether those values right. are formed in, in a secular sense by people who are non-religious or whether they're formed in a religious sense by people who are religious or identify as Christian or Jewish or, you know, have come from a Judeo-Christian ethos. That uh, th even if you're non, if you're not a practicing religious person, it's still our our history is embedded in that Judeo-Christian ethos. Yeah. Uh, even back to you know long before Christ with 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 Plato and Platonism. And, oh, I was going to go you know, as far back as Abraham. Right. There you go. Yeah. So you know that's well that yeah as the Jewish tradition would suggest. Well the um, the. The reality of the separation of church and state inconvenient to the leftist, but for the for the secularist, um, separation of church and state is identical to a free and independent media. What you actually need is not the suppression of media, but the freedom of media to not be controlled, influenced, coerced, or, or corrupted um, by government influences, and, and that's why. 
you have the, the establishment clause, clause in America talking about these things in the same clause. Media and speech and religion uh, should be unencumbered by well, government. Right, and the ABC, this is my the thing that people forget about the ABC. It's not a question of whether the ABC itself is biased, which it clearly is. Mm -hmm. It's a question of should the ABC exist at all because of the impact it has outside the ABC. Right. It's an ACCC issue, really, competition issue, yep. because by having a massive $1 billion funded uh, machine that can produce you know, content that doesn't have to be supported by advertising, so we don't have to take an ad break, mm. uh, how do you then, as an independent media producer, set up in, in contrast to that? How do you compete with that? Yes. It's anti-competitive. It very so, much is. It's so exactly got a as hurdle. competitive as having a state-run church. Right. Right. It's utterly corrupted. Yes, and we can't have that. There's no, there's no mm. moral justification for the existence of the ABC if you're really honest about it in yeah. this day and age. There might be some fundamental services that the ABC needs to provide, but uh, the, you know there are government information services that need to be provided. Someone should broadcast Parliament, right? That's in the public interest. Yep. Someone should probably have some foreign correspondence. Maybe we should have some, but that should be available to all media to use and share. Uh, we should. You know, maybe we do need a one news channel, you know, okay. I'd actually like to see uh, the political or electoral reform of, and, and this is really important. Um, it, it, I hope it's not too big a, a rabbit, <laughs> rabbit trail. Um, one of the corrupting influences on media is government election spending. So if one of the stations steps out of line and is too uncooperative with the government, the government can just as easily say we're going to spend all of our election advertising at the other ma at the other commercial stations and not you massive amounts of commercial spending then goes from their bottom line uh, the government advertising gone from that commercial station i'd like to see that actually made illegal the people own the airwaves it's uh, it, i think there should be basically compulsory airtime um, and yes, I think there should be compulsory yeah, airtime yeah. for yeah. every political party yeah. and view. Yeah. Uh, if you give one but party uh, a twenty-minute interview, you have to give uh, their their opponents twenty-minute interview. But see, I think you just have a free market of ideas, though, right? It doesn't matter. You don't have to police that. I don't think it's the libertarian side of me coming out. Well, I don't I, think you I need just... to put rules around that because I think it'll happen organically. Well, it would be good if, if you. Did. Yeah, well, it can't happen organically while because the ABC is there. What you actually point. have. <laughs> We've got to get rid of that first. I, I don't think. I don't and think then... it's enough. I think you do need to police it because what you see in reality is that uh, all the minor parties get starved of oxygen and treated as irrelevant. Yeah, and but they, the, it's very hard for their yes. superior ideas to get cut through. Uh, right. Think, if their ideas are superior, yes, they've got to get. Well, a vo they've let, got to have a platform. Let's them. They, yeah, they could yeah, be toxic okay, ideas. I see what you mean. Um, but this is why, you, you, if you've got five valid candidates, uh, let's say One Nation, Liberal Democrats, uh, and, and a Christian party, as well as the the Greens, the Liberals, and the Labor, then um, you should be having a debate where all six of them are mandatorily included. And you have uh, basically, you know, electorate-wise, everything should be equal. And this is a principle in play, and I, I don't fully understand. Oh, that. I agree uh, with that. But anyway, I think I think the idea of pairing down the debates to just two candidates is the government is the media sort of voting on our behalf exactly. and saying we've decided who the yeah. two top candidates are. Yeah. Well, no, that's not okay. How does the, how do the Liberal Democrats, who did have superior views, mm. in my humble opinion, uh, how do, how would they have? have uh, you know gotten their manifesto up 
or out there, they couldn't. You know, they had a fantastic uh, little manifesto there that they put together. Let's wrap it up. Um, did we talk about I've education? A, yeah, we did. Okay. I want to ask you a question to wrap it up. Okay. On the separation of church and state, because I think it's important, because again, this is where the left kind of kind of go. Well, but um, theocracies. How do you avoid the creation of a theocracy, as we see in the Islamic world, where we've got you know pretty unhealthy theocracies in a lot of cases? Well, they're actually not theocracy. So people uh, don't define this word properly. Um, what they have there is... Don't get an, semantic on me, David. No, well, <laughs> semantic means meaning, and meaning okay, it's is important. important. It's important. Sorry, um, yes, okay, fair enough. What they have is ecclesiocracy, which right. means the rule of the church or, or the religious body. Um, and theocracy means rule of God. Now, if God is the moral lawgiver, then it makes the most sense to submit to the objective moral laws of the universe. In fact, uh, a better way of describing theocracy would be natural law. The, these are the laws not that man made, but that man discovered that are outside of our existence. For example, it is always immoral to torture a baby for fun, always. That's, That's an extreme and very weird example, it's, it's but I'll a, take it. It's an example. Yeah. Because it's, there it's are a, universal it's, principles. It's exaggerating of, a point to make a point. Got it. Um, and, and that is a theocracy. If you agree with that, then you're a, a theocrat. You're basically saying the, the laws of God reign supreme, they are sovereign and unaccountable. Um, now, I. Right, the Catholic in me is going to say, but you've got to use your rational mind. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the great legal traditions of the West, um, the great British jurists said that law flows from the mind of God uh, like tributaries to a river and arteries and capillaries from a heart uh, and that they all lead to him and they all come from him. And, and ours is not to create them, but to discover them, navigate them, explore them. Uh, and that any law we fabricate is in fact a, a fraud if it doesn't harmonize and, and um, synergize with what God has mandated and God has ordained. So if that's a theocracy, give it to me. If a theocracy is actually an ecclesiocracy where um, fallen men in charge of a religious institution are given the levers of power in state, I think that is as much of a problem as giving Rupert Murdoch those levers. There should be separation of media in state, there should be separation of church in state for exactly the same reason. Um, these are checks and balances on absolute power. So ecclesiocracy, okay. absolutely terrible. Um, if theocracy means ecclesiocracy, I'm opposed to theocracy. Right. If theocracy means natural law, yeah. well, then I'm in favour of, of that. Yeah. Uh, and so the, the semantics are incredibly important because the tyranny uh, and, and oppression comes from the malevolence in any form of government. Mm. So you can have malevolent democracy and you can have malevolent dictatorships and yes. you can have Benevolent, benevolent dictatorships I've seen them. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. benevolent democracy. And yeah. the only way democracy is benevolent is when the people are moral. And the only way the people are moral is when uh, religion is vibrant and healthy and free and unregulated. I get it. Thank you, sir. You, you have a lot in that 
brain of yours. So you've got to now come on the other side interviews. That'd be fun. <laughs> I love talking to you, David. Thank Always you. Good to Thank chat. you. Likewise, Damien. Yes. Well, that's uh, Damien Curry, and you need to tune into his show uh, as soon as it starts um, in April on Friday nights on ADHT TV. Uh, make sure you look for him at these details. And coming up, I'm going to tell you about the cultural emergency of obscene graphic novels in our public and school libraries. A word of warning to viewers before we begin, though. My guest is Bernard Gaynor, and if I didn't show you what he has discovered, on the shelves of a local city council library in the kids section, right next to the kind of comic books you probably grew up reading, you wouldn't believe it. Although they are disturbing, I have to show you because you really wouldn't believe how bad they are if I didn't show you. I have censored out the worst, most explicit parts with heavy blurring in an effort to strike a careful balance between too much and not enough to effectively sound the alarm. This is a social emergency that demands massive action from loving parents across the nation. I hope they upset you. They upset me and make me emotional for the sole poison our precious vulnerable children are being exposed to through either the, neg the negligence or malice of some public servants. If I didn't show you, you might be forgiven for thinking what we're describing is exaggerated or hyperbole, it couldn't be that bad. But to avoid forcing you to either miss out on the story or see things you won't ever forget, I will put a visual red warning behind the text at the bottom of the screen three seconds before the images come up. You can then look away for a minute and just listen to the conversation. There are two books reviewed like this. Feel free to email me, dave at goodsource.news, if you think I got the balance wrong and my apologies in advance. But as I said, these are so bad that I feel they shouldn't be broadcast without censorship. Yet they are being provided to children in city and school libraries. Parents may never know what vulgarity their young children are being exposed to in spaces they thought were safe, as they can read them there without borrowing them and never bring them home to be discussed. And that is the admitted intention of at least one of the authors, to undermine parental authority and protection from toxic, sexually abusive content. That's the definition of grooming to a T. Bernard Gaynor, welcome to the Church and State Show. Good to be here, Dave. Now, I'm not new to the culture war and Christian activism. But I find myself, I find myself shocked, and I think I'm hard to shock. Uh, but I think also the people watching this show will be shocked. Now we're going to put images on the screen, and they are going to be blurred uh, because, you know, there might be kids watching this accidentally seeing what we're about to put on screen. So for that sake, we're going to blur them. But Bernie, I, I think it's, I think it's fair to say that most people watching this show right now may not actually believe how bad, how explicit, how terribly, demonically sexual, perverted the images are that are in books being put in school libraries and council libraries in the children's section for children's consumption and in indoctrination. Uh, tell me how you came across these books 
and and let's just talk about exactly how bad they are because I think this is an emergency, a national emergency that needs to be thoroughly removed from the nation. Uh, well, we do have a national emergency, Dave. So in every library, council library across Australia, there is a stash of porn which children can read in the libraries and that they can borrow. Um, they can even go home and download it on their um, computers at home. Um, and essentially what people have to understand is that uh, I believe that this is more than just negligence because to get porn on a library shelf, you don't just have to break one law. There are multiple laws across Commonwealth and state governments that have been broken to allow this to happen from the importation regulations which prohibits the importation of unclassified pornography into Australia through to criminal state laws uh, or state criminal laws in relation to obscene publications and child exploitation material through to classification laws in Australia which prevents, prohibit or restrict um, the sale, display, uh, dissemination of pornographic material. Now you use the word obscene and, and I think that's an apt description. I, yep. I think if anything fits the definition of obscene in a in a generation which has seen standards become more and more desensitized to violence and sexual imagery swearing profanity uh, in every every classification standard has retreated and eroded over the the last 20 years if not the last 50 years and uh, some people would say that that's a good thing but if, if this material doesn't fit the definition of the word obscene, then I submit nothing does, and there's no point having this word in the language anymore. Well, I think, Dave, you, you've struck a, an issue here, which is why I think parents in Australia need to go to their libraries and check out exactly what is in their local libraries and their school libraries as well, because uh, it's kind of like... Uh, the abortion laws. Okay? Every state in Australia, it was illegal to have abortion, but we we're still having 100,000 abortions a year. And either what happens is the law either gets policed or the law is removed. And unless we do something about this uh, pornographic plague in our libraries, the law is going to be changed to legalise child pornography uh, in Australia. Now, let me give you an example That's of, where, a really we're good at, point, of where we're at. Last year, in November, between July and November last year, the Australian Classification Board refused classification to a series of Japanese manga because essentially it was child pornography. Yep. Uh, so this was between nine and six months ago, these books were deemed child pornography. And refused just, classification basically yeah. means illegal. So they cannot be imported, they cannot be displayed, they cannot be sold, they are unlawful publications in Australia. Right. Amazon Australia and a number of other online booksellers on their Australian website, so I'm not talking about their overseas website, on their Australian website were selling these child pornography series up until a couple of weeks ago when I raised the alarm about this and they were embarrassed into taking it down. And the Commonwealth government was collecting GST on the sale of child pornography. So people think child porn is something in this dim, dark recess of the internet. It is on Amazon Australia and it is in our local library. So for, to give you an ex example... And being taxed. And being taxed. <laughs> you know, the, the government collects... They, they say uh, death and taxes are 
inevitable. Well, even child porn has to pay taxes in At this country. At least the federal government's profiting from child exploitation. Um, so there is a book called Gender Queer, which is the first book I became aware of. It has imagery of an 11-year-old engaged in masturbation, uh, or from the ages of 11. It has imagery of a naked man uh, with an erection touching the penis of a boy. This is this was on the Logan City Council Library young adult section. On the shelves. On physically. the shelf. When they say young adult, what they're talking about is 12 to 20 year olds, so teenagers essentially. They've just reclassified as young adults and said it's okay to have this stuff there. That book is now being assessed by the classification board. So was it on the top shelf? Really <laughs> hard to reach? No, it was next to the Batman comics, Dave. Now, that book has been illegally imported into Australia. Now, it has been it has been illegally put on the shelves, Dave. It has got improper, unlawful, illegal classifications on the back, which give the impression that it has been assessed by Australian authorities and is suitable for children to read. So let me just ask you a, a point of clarification. When you say illegal, you don't mean this is one of the books that was refused classification and then therefore specifically illegal, but that the content in it uh, met the definitions of outlawed content, which is obscenity. So, so what? I'm not saying it is illegal to to import pornographic material into Australia ever. There is a process. Okay, the book needs to be classified first. Okay, any book that has material in there that is likely to cause a reasonable adult to be offended has to be classified. This book never went through the classification process, and I can tell you none of the books that contain pornographic material on your local library shelves have been through a classification process. And this is where councils are being completely hypocritical because what they are saying is, this book hasn't been deemed pornography, therefore we can give it to kids. So I want to ask But the you, book has never, ever been assessed. So you said the word reasonable adult. I'm putting images on the screen now. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, they're what Bernie just described. Um, and, but if you're viewing, I'd like you to comment beneath this video uh, and tell us, would a reasonable adult be offended by this material? The question, I think, ultimately, Bernie, is, is the person who made the decision, who ordered these books, who put them on the shelves in Logan City Council Library, because there is a person who did that, is that person naive and accidentally did this, uh, at best negligent and sloppy in the execution of their duties, careless with what they're putting out for children, or are they maliciously, intentionally attempting to desensitise children to adult sexuality and behaviour and, and malicious in the way that they are preying upon the children in one of Australia's largest cities. Okay, so look, I can't answer that question in specific detail. I think detail. that's the question that it, Logan it City needs to answer. But I can't answer that question in specific detail in relation to a specific person. What I can tell you is that there are laws that have been broken that have jail terms that have been broken to get this stuff on the shelves. Now, there are authors, publishers, distributors, library networks mm. that are pushing this stuff, okay? We've seen it in the United States, and we've seen it in Australia, where they're pushing degenerate, perverted, obscene... Now, surely... Now, hold on, I just want to say... So, there, I'm saying some people, sure, might say, we're getting 500 books today, I can't check every single one of them. But there is a concerted push by people to fill our children's head with 
rubbish and most of this pornographic material you have to understand is not heterosexual it is rainbow and and it's predatory now you showed me and but i want you to describe what the author of gender queer says about her his i'm not even sure what his biological sex is but what what they actually admitted and confessed in the book about their motives and agendas for this being in libraries. Sure, in so, libraries. So this book is very interesting in one way or some ways. It's also a very sad book. It is written by a woman um, who has just announced that she's had her breasts removed. So she is suffering in some ways from the same madness that she is pushing on children. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't take away from what is wrong with this. Now she has said that it is important for her book to be in local council libraries because children can go there and read it without their parents knowing. They don't even need to borrow what she said. They can just go to the library and read it there without their parents' consent. And so she is pushing that. She knows why these books need to be in public libraries because they are trying to uh, manipulate the next generation of our society. Now, it was also very interesting in this book, just on the library culture, a large part of this book details her own work inside libraries um, and the really? LGBT culture in specific parts of American libraries. But you have to go to any local council library and you can see very clearly certain libraries have a very, very strong uh, LGBT connection to them. Uh, and it is no coincidence, for instance, um, in Logan City Council, of all the libraries I've been to, Beanley Library is the one that has the most rainbows on the wall. It is the library with the most rubbish on the shelves. Wow. Yeah, that, that's very clearly uh, a political signal that they are on board with and promoting a political and philosophical ideology, if not religious ideology. It is a religion to them. So Dave, I've got a message for parents across Australia because this can be fought. So with Logan City Council, I've been to uh, the police and I've been to Logan City Council and just with a couple of visits, a few phone calls and some emails, Logan City Council is currently in complete damage control and meltdown over its libraries. I've been informed by one librarian that hundreds of books have been taken off the shelf while they're going through them. Good. Uh, now, they're not going through them very well, but they're trying to do something. Um, but what my, my point is, if parents go to local councils and start poking people in the chest, things will happen. Bernie, let's make this uh, as simple as possible. So parents and, and people who want to make a difference, I, I echo Bernie's sentiments, you need to not leave this to Bernie, not leave this to somebody else in your city. You need to take responsibility for this. If nothing else, you might be the only one who does it. But if you're not, all the better. If 20, 50, 100 parents end up coming into the schools and council libraries and demanding accountability and age appropriateness in, in the content on those shelves, uh, then, then that is something that is going to push back on this culture. So we don't end up with the eradication of these laws and the liberalisation of this obscenity. I, I think it's weak and cowardly for a council administration and leadership to fall to the lowest common denominator of criminality. I think they should actually be leading 
a level of care and safety for our kids. Not saying, well, it's up to the classification board, but actually proactively saying, uh, this is likely to offend a reasonable adult, in our opinion. This is likely to be debatable and, and controversial. It's not our job, and, and we're not paid by ratepayers to push the envelope and, and change the Overton window of acceptable discourse in our community. Our job is to supply a need to promote the literacy and education of our, sit of, of our residents. And therefore, ratepayers and residents of every city in Australia, regardless of the law and, and criminality, should be communicating with their local councillors reasonably and in a way that promotes them listening, um, that, that if they want to be re-elected, then they should promote the safety of our children in our public libraries and schools. Yeah, well, our I'm very disappointed with Logan City Council's response. It effectively it is saying, um, until these books that, um, that uh, books of orgies, for instance, in these comic books next to the Batman comics, another comic series of orgies, they're saying until the government says that's pornography, we can put it on the shelf and there's nothing wrong with it. Like. There, there are laws, but we all know the reason these laws exist is because what they're doing is wrong. Mm. Someone in Logan City Council and someone in every city council needs to stand up and say, this is unacceptable. We are not letting these books in our libraries. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Thank you so much for coming in and, and joining me today and, and informing us all about this. And, and thank you for taking the lead in, in what hopefully will be a redeeming moment in, in Australian cultural history where we've actually pushed back against the invasion of darkness. Thanks, Dave. I have no doubt we're gonna win this fight. Amen. Thank you for watching. For recent and older articles and interviews by me, or to join the weekly newsletter with censor-free content and updates on upcoming church and state events across Australia, visit davepello.com. Special kind of courage, not the kind needed in battle, but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right, everything that is true and honest. We need the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynics, so that we can show the world that we are not afraid of the future.